My name is Paula Gall. My company is called New Leaf Redesign, and we are a boutique staging and interior design company. Hello, Paula. <laughs> Hello, Jody. Um, all right, so Paula is, I, this is one of the things like I, I really enjoy uh, interviewing my neighbors because when I say I love and live in a quintessential New England town, I live in a small town, 28,000 residents, and literally there's so many small businesses here. It's like, it's the best part about living in a small town because big box stores can't come in here. I mean, they can, we have like two or three, but all of them are small businesses. And it makes it that much more fun because I can interview friends um, that I was just saying to Paula, I can interview friends that I know, but I don't know. And it's like a couple of years down the line before I realize even what they do. So this is like a lot of fun for me to really dig deep into um, what you are, what you do. Um, but before uh, we even do that, I always say, <clears throat> sorry, I always say that, I really just choked on my, my own, like, like I just choked on myself. Did it, did it <laughs> um, I always say the best way to get to understand a small business is to understand the person because great people, great minds, great expertise come from this business and people just walk in, walk out, they hire you, they have no idea anything about you. And this is an opportunity for people to get to know who you are, including me, which I get so excited <laughs> about, Inclu including me. So okay. Paula, tell me who you are from, um, a, like, like where were you born and raised all the way till... Um, I'll wait until you decided to go to college, if you or upper education, whatever you chose, up to that, that point of what was that major and why? Okay, well, this will be an easy one. I was not born in Marblehead. I moved here when I was two months old. And so I consider myself being from Marblehead, though people that are really from Marblehead would not would consider me a newcomer. Um, but um, I went to school here, lived here pretty much my whole, you know, growing up years, uh, went to high school here. Then when I graduated high school, I went to college and majored in English um, with a view towards, um, I thought I was going to be a writer, like a copywriter, some kind of a writer, technical writer, something like that. Uh, but what happened was um, I got my degree and then my very first job right out of school was working for the Marblehead Reporter, the local newspaper, not as a writer or a copywriter, but as a um, sales rep, a media rep. I did the real estate ads. Um, and so that was my first job. And that kind of sent me down a path of uh, into marketing and advertising and, and that kind of thing for like the first 25 years of my career. That's kind of the path that I went down. So um, we're going to rewind a lot, like, like <laughs> rewind. Um, it, it's, it's always so funny because um, true, and, and, and for people that's listening, we're doing the quote, the era quotes, um, <laughs> true people that live uh, from Marblehead. Like what, what really constitutes that? Two months old, in my mind, I think two months old, you're two months old. I'm thinking anywhere else that would add you saying you yeah. are from here. No. So, so, you know, real marble headers are known as headers, as yes. you know, and to really be a true header, you have to have been born in Marblehead in the hospital that was here. Oh. Um, and I didn't even know there was, there was, I didn't even know there was oh, a yeah, hospital there was. here. Yeah, yeah, there was a hospital here. So the original, the very first original hospital 
was the Mary Alley Hospital that was down on Franklin Street across from the fire station. They're now condos. Oh, yeah. So that, yeah. So that was the original hospital in town. Mm-hmm. But then that closed down. And then now where the town offices are on Widger Road, that was like the, uh, the more modern Mary Alley Hospital. And I think that that closed sometime in the early 60s, mid 60s. And um, so that was your last opportunity to be, you know, born in born. town. So technically, if you didn't make it to the hospital and you yeah, were right. born in town, you could be like, I mean, you could still be born yeah. in town. Yeah. By the actually, I heard. Driver. Yeah. Which that just happened, actually, not that long ago. And so they they kind of announced it in the paper and everything. Oh, another true header was born. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Where's your family from? So you moved here, but where are you guys from? Uh, my parents were in Boston. I mean, it's not like we were from anywhere else. My both my parents uh, were brought up in Boston, um, so we're you know we're pretty much locals. And do you have siblings? I do. I have a brother who lives in town, and another brother that lives up in New Hampshire. See again, you have a brother that lives in town. Who knew? I know. Like, I know. Like, I hardly knew that, but well, holy moly, <laughs> that's like that's, that's crazy. And where do you fall in the in the three? So it's, you know, it's a little complicated because uh, my uh, my older brother is actually a half brother. Okay. And so then there's me. And then my brother that lives in town is my younger brother. So kind of like oldest in my real nuclear family, mm-hmm. but in the middle-ish uh, of my, you know, all my siblings. You're in the middle. I like it. So as, as a Caribbean kid, everyone's our family, number one. I mean, but yeah. in the Caribbean, is there are small islands. And so lots and lots and lots of children are born from the lots and lots of men that mm-hmm. really enjoy the island very well. Right. So so we have lots <laughs> of relatives. And I always tell people, people always ask me, like, are they really your real cousins? I'm like, we don't believe in this whole entire real. I'm like, I go, they're yeah. families. Really, if there's blood coming through this system, they're related. Yeah. Don't yeah. marry them. I get it. <laughs> don't marry them that's the biggest one you do not have a relationship with anyone that has blood running through your same same <laughs> and everyone's your aunt too that's the other thing in the caribbean everyone's your aunt it's my auntie <laughs> exactly no it's true the yayas we have like the haitian yeah. yayas yeah um when you decided to go to school and you go going for english was there someone that in your household that had it like i mean like, someone that inspired you someone that was already in the english major education etc because i feel like i go english is a very distinct, like, I have to have a specific career if I'm going the English route, because usually you go liberal arts, I'd go communications if I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but English is very, very clear in regards of I'm going to do this. Yeah, so no, um, there was nobody, actually, um, I was the first kid in my family to go to college, um, and I chose English because I was always drawn to English in high school. I really liked my English classes. I really loved reading. I was the kid who, like when I went to summer camp, everybody else's parents sent them, you know, uh, boxes of food and my mother sent me boxes of books. And I would like, you know, walk around camp like a total nerd, like, you know, not tripping over the roots and stuff, like with my head in the book and stuff. I loved reading. I loved writing. I loved I loved English. I love the English language. So I kind of always knew that I would major in English. And I felt like it gave me actually a lot of different ways to go. I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do with it. But I knew that that was probably the only thing if I couldn't, if I couldn't be a theater major and 
be the star of some show or be a princess. Those were my other two choices. <laughs> then I wanted to be an English major. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, let's just pause again, theater. So all right, yeah. princess, princess, I can't go there. I could, you know. <laughs> you can, you can, it would be okay. Okay, 100% okay with it. <laughs> we, we, we could go for like, I go, being a princess, I go, this is like, I mean, I wanted to be a dentist. I could still, we, we could still have that status of me oh, yeah. being a dentist and you being a princess. But I'm just going to go the route of theater because it's a link. I was a thespian for many years. So like, I, I was that kid where I was talking, I mean, I talk a lot. I don't know if you know that. What? <laughs> shocking, shocking. <laughs> and my parents were like, Haitian parents are like, oh my God, make her stop. So my, my, my mother put me in theater school. And we would go oh. on Newberry Street in Boston. Like, I mean, that was my thing every single Saturday. And then, of course, it, was hap- it happened in high school. Then it happened in college. So I love I mean, I love everything about the theater. To this day, I mean, Tony Awards, love it. Going to a show, I'm in awe of it. I mean, like, I get it in every single way. Theater yeah. for you. What was that for you? So I was the little kid that just was always putting on shows, you know, for my parents. And I love to sing. And. I would get up at every family occasion and, you know, I would, I can remember of Louis Armstrong. Well, you froze, you froze a little bit. Say that again. You were, you could remember when you were little. My, my Louis Armstrong imitation singing Hello Dolly as a little, as a, a little kid, right? I wow. loved, I loved singing and dancing and uh, performing. You know, I was in, I took dance class. I took gymnastics. I was, you know, I loved, I really loved dancing too. Um, but I, and I was in a lot of stuff. I took, you know, theater lessons and I tried out for stuff like, na- you know, national companies and stuff like that. And then when I turned like 14, I got hit with like this crippling um, stage fright. And I kind of totally like, I can't even imagine that of you because like, I know (laughs) this, I do know of you. Like I go, that's just like me saying I'm stage, I have stage fright. I mean, your personality is, not only do you have a very large personality, but you have a, um, it's spicy. This is one of the things I do like about you. It's spicy (laughs) because um, I've always enjoyed this because you just say it. I'm like, oh, filter free, Paula. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be careful of that. <laughs> That's a double-edged sword for sure. <laughs> well, it, it's, a, it's a rare thing in this town. So it's a rare yeah. thing in this town to find a spicy person and spicy in a positive way where you're like, this is who I am. This is what I do. Yeah. This is what, this is, like, just, yeah. just, just here, it, here it is. So I do love yeah. that. So you saying that your stage fright is shocking to me. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it kind of like took hold of me kind of you know you hit you hit being a teenager and then you get all these weird insecurities and I just kind of couldn't I couldn't enjoy it the way that I used to I just suddenly you know was just so Mm self-conscious so I just kind of backed off of it so I wasn't interestingly so even though I was a cheerleader in high school and I loved sort of that theater right yeah um I was never into any like high school plays or anything like that I kind of stopped doing that stuff and turned my my you know attention seeking side of me to to being a cheerleader and that was kind of what I did but like you're bringing it together because you're right like you mean like in the PR marketing like that whole entire world and 
stage, it, I get that because that's I could I see that in you. They all are all about being in the forefront. There's no hiding, even with a pen. You write something, people know you did it. So all yeah. those things that you're doing between the singing, the dancing, the cheerleading, the writing, uh, the, the English, everything is like bringing people in your in your view. Um, how did like, I mean? How did you convert those two things to like match? I mean, like match because as people don't know yet, you are a singer, and not just a singer, yeah. but a singer in front of audiences. <laughs> yeah. In front of, yeah. In so, front of so how did yes. how did you get back to that point where? Again, you were all about being in, I mean, literally being in the forefront and then hiding behind the pen, but not really because people know that you're the writer, that you're engaging and you're the storyteller. And then now you're like back to the being in the forefront. How did you, as that go away? Because a lot of individuals, and I ask this question because a lot of individuals have been working for large companies for a very long time. And whether it's the pandemic, whether it's a recession, whether I'm retiring and I want something new, or I'm just bored with like what I've been doing all these years. I've been behind this company. I've only been known as the brand of a company. And now all of a sudden I am this person that I come, like, oh wait, I'm the boss. I have to talk. I have to market myself. I have to be in the forefront and I don't like it. So how did yeah. you do it? So, I mean, the, the, the singing and band thing came about because of my husband, Jamie, who you know, who really is the musician in the family. And he, um, he kind of dragged me into it. He kind of, I mean, the story goes that he was in a, a band with a couple of other people or they were forming a band and they and this is years ago maybe I don't know like 15 or something more years ago and they would come to our house and practice and I would kind of be in the kitchen kind of you know listening but not really listening and then I would just sort of start singing harmonies while I was in the kitchen and they were like, oh, that sounds really good. You like come in and sing that with us. And I was like, yeah. And so I started singing harmonies and, and jumping in with them. And then they decided that they were going to go get gigs and they were going to go out and play. And they were like, you have to be in the band. And I was like, no, 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 I can't. No, stop. Don't make me sing. Don't make me sing. And so they said, well, here's the deal. If you don't want to do it, we're going to find another girl to be in the band because we like how these harmonies sound. And I was like, OK, I'm in. <laughs> How, how old were you? Because I mean, again, that's like, in, so you go through this entire stage, right? It's like still in the back of your head, but you're still out there. And all of a sudden these guys convince you, I mean, mind you, all it takes yeah. is like a young lady to come in here and like come into uh, yeah. my world. Like, I would mm, take you I down. I don't think so. Yeah. Like, I don't think so. Mm, yeah. I'm going to overcome that stage right pretty darn quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, the singing part, I, 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 I'm going zigzag, but they're all connecting for me. Um, you knew how to do theater, you sang around the house, and now you are singing in a band. How does yeah. that even happen? <laughs> well, when your husband has a band and, and you can sing, you're in the band. <laughs> that's pretty much how it goes. Ask Linda McCartney. It's kind of the same thing. Well, the, the, well that's the thing where it's like, I go, I always assume. Oh, like I just I go, lost so, your audio. Oops. You, you, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yep. So. I, I mean, I always sit there and think about your singer, your Whitney Houston, your 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 uh, your uh, mother's gospel, things like that. I mean, yeah. or your your um like I don't know, like I mean your like you name a singer where Taylor Swift and you're little and you start when you're young, you're playing guitar and like everyone knows you of this. So the singing part, I thought it was just part of theater, like you kind of like you sang a couple songs, but you actually sing sing like 
You did learn that. You, I mean, you had it in you. Yeah, I did. I mean, I, 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 you know, I still struggle a little bit with it. I'm not the most confident singer out there, but I have, I try to have fun with it. And I just, I don't, you know, a lot of it, even to this day, still is like that fake it till you make it kind of mentality. It's like, I got to just, I got to like, if I'm going to get up there and be in this band, I got to make an attempt to like, really put something into it. And, but it, but it took me a while, even with this band too, to get the confidence up and because this was different kind of singing. This was more sort of rock and roll kind of, you know, having an attitude. And I started out at first being like, kind of like shy and reserved and kind of, and they're all like, no, come on, like be a rock star. I was like, okay, I'm a rock star. Well, the first time I mean, like, so I'm like, I'm spoiled because I worked in the media and I was always backstage or side stage. So watching shows for me, sometimes just like, I'm like, I'm like, uh, I feel like I go being in the radio just ruined all shows for me because I go and I'm like, Am I backstage? Am I doing something? Like I go, yeah, right. a show is so hard for me. Um, but I remember hearing you for the first time. I'm like, Joan Jettish, like very Joan oh, Jettish. And I'm, and I'm like, well, that is like, that's a hard voice. I mean, hard voice as in like, you can belt it out. So it's not like this little wallflower kind of a thing. You belt out some major, like, like, I don't even know how to say it, but you just belt it out. <laughs> and that's why when you're saying like, I go, well, I've done this thing, I got a devil. I'm like, no, you sing like you really, really like full on get out yeah. there and you blow it out of the water. And every single time, like it could, again, living in a small town, even when I don't go to the show, everyone's talking about, oh my God, Paul and Jamie were so great. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> and I, I always like, and I'm like, I always get excited. I'm like, I'm like, did you go? I'm like, I go, no, I don't go to the shows, but I love them. I love <laughs> But if I did go, I know I would love them. I went to a backyard one and I like, I was like, I was happy with that one. And I go, again, I go, I remember even driving by one day, like where you were performing one day, all the windows were open. I drove by, I'm like, oh my God, Paula, I'm dating. <laughs> I'm that person. I'm that person. All right. Going back to the career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 25 years, 25 years you're writing. Um, your marketing for who? Marketing, yeah, a lot of marketing. So I did a lot of uh, I did a lot of hospitality marketing. So I worked for ad agencies that um, specialized in hospitality, and I was like the account manager. I had an account team working under me, and we did a lot of um, high end hotel stuff. So I had some really great travel perks, and you know, got to I, I learned so much about. Well, my first stint in hospitality marketing actually was um, working for uh, the loyalty program for Sheridan Hotels. And I learned like kind of all about that whole world. I had no idea, but we were doing all of the marketing materials, running all the tactical programs, all the promotions and stuff for their uh, loyalty program. And so that was kind of an interesting thing to learn the ins and outs of how a loyalty program operates and, mm. you know, how you attract customers and how you put together promotions and how you track the results of those promotions. I was doing a lot of database marketing and stuff like that back in, back in those days. Um, Isn't it funny how, when you're like, you're thinking about data analysis, thinking about like big data, um, we used to do it flawlessly without computers. Um, And it, and it worked, it worked. People still gravitate towards it. People believed in it. And now with all this technology, people are jaded and people don't go that route anymore. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely changed. I mean, we, you know, back when I was doing it for real, I, there was, I mean, it was database marketing, so it was all computer based, but I mean, I was doing a lot of partner marketing with, with partners like American Express who have this unbelievable database and could slice and dice their data and really get, you know, targeted on, on who they wanted to market to. And if, you know, we had this, you know, we were doing a lot of data modeling, predictive data modeling. So yeah. it was like, you know, you would, you would decide who your ideal customer was, and then you would look at the data of customers who behaved like that. And then mm -hmm. you would go, you would create this database of people that was sort of a hybrid of that, if that, if that. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's basically, I mean, your design personas of different characteristics. And then from that, you're basically like, okay, now we know this persona that we've made up. Yeah. Like, this is like, you know, and then we're just going to go target this person all the time, knowing right. that 90% of the time they're going to react like this. Right. 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 And, right. And, and so, and I, you know, and I love the fact that you guys were doing that because I mean, again, they're trying to recreate that now. You I know, mean, like I have interns. I'm like, oh, I took a class on this. I'm like, I go, Anna, what did you find? They're like, well, it's harder. I'm like, well, been being, being, look, we've been doing it for decades. So it's not that yeah. hard. Yeah. You know, it's, it's different now. I think the whole, you know, social media thing is, is, is that model kind of turned on its head from what I understand. And I am so like not in that world now. And I don't even like, I hardly do my own social media stuff. Like I barely do. I'm like, a dinosaur I hate it I don't do it I know I need a kid to like do this stuff for me but um I was thinking that sort of before I did that database marketing I don't know if you know this about me is that I we used to live in Bermuda did you know that I, I know you go to the islands I didn't know you live there so wait we when did, did that happen and, and and wait so wait Jamie came in when? Where, when did Jamie come into this? Because like you started singing, but that was, it wasn't like you started singing. Until, yeah, I started singing like with him. Really, you know, once I kind of got got back into that, it was because of him. So, I mean, he, I met him in 1988. Okay. 88 or so, 88, something like that. We got married in 1989. And, then, and we honeymooned in Bermuda. And then we moved to Bermuda the following year. And we lived there for four years. <laughs> okay. So love that because that, that is such my dad. Like my dad came to Massachusetts. Um, let's see. I can't remember what year it was, but he came for a graduation and went back to So my mom like was eight and a half months pregnant with me, came to America from Haiti. And she's like, oh my God, it's April. It's cold. This sucks. And then they are in New York, but there's a couple of relatives there. My dad comes to a graduation in Massachusetts. He goes, Oh my God, Charles River, Charles Town, it's Destiny. And then <laughs> Lily, no joke, went back to New York that weekend. And he's like, I go, yeah, we're moving. And my mom's like, I'm sorry, what? I have a newborn. What, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, New York is not where I'm going to raise my kids. Like, there's no, there's no way. And literally within 48 hours, they moved to Massachusetts. So wow. yeah, that's, you know, again, tells you a little bit about who I am and why I do certain <laughs> things because it was just like, I go, it, the thinking process, it wasn't like an impulse. The thinking process is, is, is quick. It's like yeah. a decision is made very quickly. So what was it about Bermuda? Like you're in there. Yeah. Like most people go on vacation. They have the time. You go into the islands and you have the time of your life. Time of your yes. life. But they don't move there. I know. So what, we were there on our honeymoon and we're walking around this place. And you, if you've been there, you, you know, it's like. I have not like been there mad. yet. Oh, you haven't? Oh, my I have God. Not you been, should, you should know totally what? I, go. I go to big islands like Australia. And like I go. Yeah. Like, yeah. But this is only the, the cool thing about Bermuda is it's an hour and 45 minute flight to Boston. I, mean, I know. So isn't the Azores. 
so you you get off that plane and you swear you're in the middle of the Caribbean and you cannot believe that it's so close to Boston. It's it's unbelievable. So we were walking around Bermuda just marveling at how beautiful it was and mm-hmm. saying stuff like, can you imagine living here? That would be unbelievable because we saw like the guys walking around in their Bermuda shorts with their suit jackets on and everything. And I was like, oh my God, they go to work like that. That's unbelievable. <laughs> and so the next year, Jamie was looking for a job and he was flipping through the help wanted back when there was a help wanted section in the newspaper. Um, and he saw an ad for Bank of Bermuda that was looking for, at the time he was a computer programmer, business mm-hmm. analyst or something. And they were looking for somebody who basically did what he did. So he sent in an application thinking that maybe that we would get a free weekend. They would fly us down for an interview <laughs> and we'd get a free weekend to Bermuda. That like that's all that was as like as far as our dream went. It's like we just want a free trip. <laughs> and so instead they wound up actually coming up to Boston and interviewing people that they were interested in. And they had like 200 people that they had called down this. Group I would I would definitely be on that list. I just want you to know that yeah. right. Like, I, I would have figured out, I'm like I'll I'll learn how to code as I go. Yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty fantastic. So they interviewed. They came up and it was like a two day interview process, and they interviewed okay. him and they had to interview me. Why? Because they had to see that I was committed to making this move if he got the job. Because mm-hmm. I think what had happened a lot was you know the husband got the job and. Then they moved down there and the wife was like, oh, my God, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. We need to leave. And they had invested all this money in moving you and stuff. So they had to sort of be sure that I was of sound mind and on board. Right. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, I can do this. Because to me, it kind of felt like living in Marblehead. It's like Marblehead is very island like. Yep. And because they talked a lot about, you know, rock fever that you're, you know, we have to make sure you're not going to get rock fever from living on an island and go crazy and. I was like, oh, please, I can do this. Yeah. So, so yeah, they moved us. He got the job and um, they moved us down there and it was fantastic. I mean, it was amazing. So where were you working at the time when you decided to go there? So I was working for the reporter back here. And then the way it works down there is you cannot, you can't go to Bermuda and just go and look for a job if you're not Bermudian. Okay. You, they have very strict uh, immigration and work permit laws down there to protect the Bermudians, and so he could he could move there because he had a they gave him a work permit when he got that job. Yep. And the way it works down there is they have to prove that they have tried to get a Bermudian to do the yep. job first, and that they weren't able to, and so then they can go off island and look for an expat to come in and have the it's- job. So okay. he was covered by the work permit, but I was not. So when we moved down there, I had to look for a job that I was qualified for that a Bermudian wasn't qualified for and then okay. apply for a work permit and then I could have a job. And that took me 10 months before I could work down there. Um, how was that, that for you? Because um, there are so many people that during the pandemic lost their jobs or they were underqualified, overqualified. That was like that, that, that we have this gap that's going around. And so yeah. how does one stay positive during that time where I know I went to school, I know I'm qualified, I know I'm smart and I can learn things very, very quickly. And for 10 months yeah. I'm sitting here and I'm a, in essence, a housewife. Yeah. Not, as a, it was, not that it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be a housewife, yeah. but a housewife as in you couldn't do anything. Yeah, it was so, I mean, again, it was like, 
it was good and bad, right? So it was literally the first time in my adult life that I hadn't worked and that I wasn't contributing. Like I felt really, that was really hard for me to like make that adjustment and a feeling like I wasn't earning money and I wasn't, I wasn't working. And on the other hand, I was in Bermuda. And so <laughs> I had to spend a lot of time at the beach. Darn I couldn't it. Work. Hate yeah, when those things so happen. There was that. And I had to like, you know, play tennis and, and do things like that. That was, it was hard. <laughs> so the depression lasted for a very short it was, time. It, it was, I somehow, you know, those rum swizzles helped me out of it a lot. <laughs> Um, so it was great. I mean, it, it honestly was a big adjustment, though. I, at, at that time, I, it was it was the only time and the first time that I had not worked for an extended period of time. And I was so uncomfortable with it. And I really had a hard time adjusting to it. But I also, you know, there was there's a big expat community down there. And so there were a lot of other people who were kind of in the same boat as me. We were all kind of waiting for our work permits to come through and yeah start working and you know the the thing about island time is no joke like it that was another big adjustment was going from this the pace of coming from boston and working you know crazy hours and you know and then going to an island where everything's like you know everything shut down for lunch and everything mm -hmm. um you know i can remember I, I eventually got a job at an ad agency down there mm -hmm. and i remember there was a um I remember working one day, I don't know, I had something to do till like 5.30 at night. I was finishing something up and I remember the receptionist there, she's like turning out the light, she's leaving. It's like 10 past five. She's like, oh, Paula girl, you're gonna burn the candle at both ends. I'm like, God, I'm working till 5.30. <laughs> and then I'm getting on my moped and I'm playing golf afterward. <laughs> I think I'll be okay. <laughs> um, just so you know, I, went, I worked at the state house pretty much the same thing like oh yeah no, just just so you know like i mean people were i mean i would look out the window and i'm like wow it is 4 45 and you see a drove of people leaving that <laughs> building and i'm like wow how does that what this is yeah. crazy i've never seen that. i mean i i had always worked in radio and tv and i had never ever not worked more than 12 hours per day <laughs> like yeah so it was just yeah. weird when people were like i know my boundaries very very clear and island folks and being an island person it is funny because like when I'm with my family, it's one thing, but when I'm in the real world, like we, we work hard and we work long. And so it is that weirdness when you're in the States versus when you're on the Island, it turns yeah. on and turns off. Yeah. It's a whole different lifestyle. It's a whole different pace. It took us a long time to slow down and kind of chill out. And, you know, even just talking, like, you know, I talk fast, I walk fast. Like people would be like, we can't understand what you're saying. You have to slow down. Like, I'm like, Really? Are you kidding? <laughs> so you're there for four years. What gets you to come back home? Uh, I don't know. Stupidity. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. Especially every February. I'm like, I don't get why we came back. That was really dumb. <laughs> but his, his contract was up and you know, he could have renewed, we could have stayed. But it, it, the one thing about living down there was that it was very, uh, it felt, it was very transient because there's a lot of people coming and going that expat workforce, you know, you couldn't, as an expat there, you could not really feel like you could put down roots because they made it really hard to buy a house or, mm -hmm. you know, you don't, it was interesting too, because it was the 
first and probably the only time in my life that I was a minority in the sense that I didn't have any voting rights or anything like that. You know, you, you're living in a place, but you don't have any input into your life there, really. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of interesting, you know, to have that happening. There was, you know, there's a lot of small, no, I don't want to say small town politics, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of politics down there. And, and a lot of stuff gets affected by that. And you don't have mm-hmm. a say in who gets elected or how things are going to run. And yeah, when you're there as a, you know, a contract worker for four years, it's not that big of a deal. But if we were to actually try and put down roots and stay there, I think, you know, it would have become more of a factor for us. And I felt like everybody we really truly cared about in the world was back here. Yeah. You know, we had a great time and a great group of friends. We met people from all over the world and it was so cool. But everybody that we really cared about and that we had any history, real history with. And that would become obvious to me, like when I would come home and, you know, visit back here and, you know, to have a shared history with people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, means a lot. And when I would go back down there and people didn't really know me, nor did they care to know me at that level because everybody knew they were leaving at some point. So people, I don't think invested in relationships the same way. And so I felt that. So that that for me was part of it. That's one of the things that I love hearing because, um, and people are coming and going out of work at, at, outside of jobs. And that's one of the things that you hear all the time where I'm at this job and I spend so much more time at work than I do in my life. And when there's not a connection, they're like, well, why am I even here if there's not a connection? And just being yeah. an expat where, um, my MBA studies was, was focusing on uh, the, advantages and t- the advantages and disadvantages of tourism on the human condition and the people that live in the locations. And expats became part of that because I went to different locations and I didn't realize how expats were such a big group of individuals. And then come to find out a lot of expats are in a location and they love it but they don't inter they don't intertwine with the people that live there. So the local, how often yeah. did you work with, I mean, like how often were you able to intertwine because expats usually stay in their corner and then the, the locals stay in their corner. How was it? Yeah. Well, I mean, what was it like for you at the time? I tried, I tried and I did have, I did have a lot of local friends. Um, I, I, I didn't want to just be, you know, in the expat group and just be hanging out with expats. Cause I didn't feel like that was a, as an authentic and experience, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to know the people of Bermuda. They're really great people. They're really interesting people, interesting history, interesting culture. And so, yeah, I had friends down there that were Bermudian. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just always a, you know, there's always a little bit of a dividing line. And, and again, the political climate down there is depending on who was running the government down there, which, mm-hmm party was down there they would uh rile things up or they would not you know there was one party that was sort of like the labor party and they were very much opposed to an expat community and felt you know that expats were taking opportunities from Bermudians and so then they would rile things up and you know there was a lot of negativity towards expats and a little bit more hostility so you know it it there was definitely a line there, whether you wanted it to be or not. Um, yeah. 
but I did meet a lot of Bermudians and got to know a lot about, um, you know, Bermuda, what it's like to really be from there and, and, you know, so. Yeah, island, island life, island people, um, we, they are so unique in so many different ways. There's, there's you know, 100% pros and cons. I mean, I'm from Haiti, the most dangerous place now, which yeah. it used to be the gem of, of, of the West Indies. And it's like literally yeah. like a pariah where like whether you're white, black, whatever is you're being kidnapped. And I'm like, oh yeah. no, like it's the I worst. Know the worst because it's, it's such a beautiful beautiful island. i mean i have cousins that are there right now as we speak and but they know how to navigate it and where i try to explain to people like it's such a great island but right now because of political situations you never know what you're going to get so let's just go to somewhere else just like let's just go yeah. to which is which is yeah. frustrating for a lot of people in the west indies because they want i mean obviously they depend on tourism um, which is one of the things where I'm like, I go, we've gone, I feel like we have to move past just tourism because there's so much more to offer in all these different locations. So yeah. one, one day, I mean, there'll, there'll, there'll be a little bit more attention to it for other things that they offer and not just tourism. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, you come back here. What do you do now? Um, so like when I, you mean when I came back from Bermuda, mm-hmm. um, I, that's when I, jumped into an agency that did hospitality marketing because I had, okay. <clears throat> when I worked for the agency in Bermuda, I, I wound up having some accounts, some hospitality accounts and some travel accounts like American Airlines and some of the hotels down there. And so that kind of put me on the path of doing hospitality marketing. Okay. Did that for a while. Then from there, I went into some PR with um, some cause marketing. Yep. I don't know if you know Carol Cohn. I know. I know them. Cohn. I know them very yeah. well. Yeah, so I went and worked there for a little bit. Um, and then from there, I decided, you know what, I kind of want to go on the um, the client side of things. You know, I, I, I think everybody who has ever worked for an agency at some point is like, you know what, I'm going to be the client. I'm going to like, <laughs> not, I'm going to boss the agency around. I'm not going to be bossed around by the client. So I, I went the, over client side. Being on the media side, I always wanted to have the, have the client side. And we were like, those, the, the agency is blocking me from the client. I want to be with the client. I want yeah. to see the client. I want to talk to the client. And yet we and, couldn't because it was a wall. Yeah. And then you want to be the client because you're like, you're sick. Well, you know, for me, it was when I, when I went over to Cone, I did a lot of really cool things for some really cool clients. But then I had a couple of clients that like, they're not products I, I would have chosen to market. I okay. didn't have any connection or, you know, I, I could, I really just couldn't put my heart into it because I didn't care about it. And so that's when I was like, if I'm going to do marketing, it has to be about something I care about. And the only way I can control that is if I go client side and I work for a company that produces something that I care about. So from there, I went to um, music recording software um, company and was marketing communications for them. And that was interesting. I was going to say, now this is good because the music is coming back. Yes. Yes. So I kind of like found a way to like get back into music a little bit. But then, you know, that didn't quite pan out the way I thought it was going to. And then from there, I went to work for a startup, a software mm-hmm. startup. Now that I had this technology marketing under my belt, yep. and I kind of knew, knew that world. I got pulled into a, a startup that was going to be sort of like the next big thing and was really, we were all going to be rich, rich. I tell you, we were going to make so much money because, we you know, it was 
in the day where the you know the tech bubble hadn't yep. burst yet and everybody and but this company was legit and they, it had some really big players that were running it and i really thought it was going to be everybody that worked there thought it was going to be a, an amazing you know an amazing step for all of us and uh-huh. we were all really excited about it and it was a great company and they did a lot of cool things in the end they i think they were a little bit ahead of their time um, the company was called Groove Networks. And Timing they were, is everything. Yeah, they were, you know, the guy that started Groove Networks was the guy that created, Ray Ozzy, and he's like a legend in software in um, software and computing worlds. He um, created Lotus Notes back in the day. And so then, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of faith in what he was going to, his next project, which was Groove Networks, which, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like 2000, 2001. Yeah. And it was collaboration software. It allowed people to work together in private workspaces mm-hmm. where they could share information and share documents. And it was all encrypted. And so like the military used it. And it was a way to share, you know, ideas and documents and conversations in a protected environment. And, um, you know, that was like before there was a cloud or anything like that. Like, like it was before that. And, and even before like Skype and things like that, it was just Skype was just kind of coming on the scene. So we had like, you know, voice over IP, we could talk to each other in these workspace. It was very cool and very advanced. Um, at the end of the day, um, Microsoft wound up buying out the company. Um, I was gonna and, say, not, a bad, not a bad person to buy it out. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, is that there was a very clear dividing line in terms of, you know, we all came on board with all these shares and options and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when there was an IPO, we were all going to be so rich, it was going to be amazing. And what happened was there was a very clear dividing line on um, where you were kind of in the pecking order when what happened to your shares, there was a real firm cutoff. And I think the cutoff was like, if you had been there five years, you got like a certain giant chunk of money, not giant, but a big chunk of money. And if you were there less than five years, you got nothing. There was no like, it wasn't like a sliding scale. And I had been there like, like four years and eight months or something like oh. that. So it was like, like a bitter pill to swallow. Oh, and that worst. isn't, that isn't why I left there though. So I, once Microsoft took over and, you know, it's just it, the thrill and the creativity of a startup kind of evaporated. And so it, my days started to become gray, a very formulaic and very like, well, this is how we do things. And this is how you'll do things. And, I was like, I can't come into work every day and like, just be gray. And I remember thinking that like my days are gray. I need them to be in color. That was like the only way I could describe it. I was just feeling this pull towards like, I need color. I need creativity. I need, uh, I can't do this. And so I, I, I just decided I was going to have to do something else, but I wasn't sure. I, I remember I had, when I was thinking about leaving there, I had, two books on my coffee table one was I could do anything if I if I only knew what it was Mm -hmm. and I don't know what I want to do but I know it's not this (laughs) which still do a lot about my state of my state of mind at the time (laughs) you're drawn to the like the universe is opening up a table like I go here here it is yeah here it is like Clearly, you're not happy. Um, <laughs> we don't. We don't know how to get you to your next step, but we have an idea of how to get you to your next step. 
So you want me to keep telling you the story of how I, I do? Well, I, well, I'm, I'm so intrigued because like all the dots are, again, they're connecting in my head, but I'm like, I want to know how the company comes to be. I mean, yes, how does what, this even happen? I know. Wait, hang on. I know. Let's take a sip. Yay. Mm-hmm. Don't wait to hydrate. <laughs> okay. So I really was in that kind of dilemma of like, I, I, I need to do something else, but I really don't know what it is, but it needs to be creative. I just yeah. know that. And so I, at the time I was, um, we had just moved into a new house, not, not Marblehead, but we were living up in Hamilton, which mm. is, you know, a few towns up. And I was trying to, um, decorate my own house, decorate my own dining room. I could not get my dining room right. I could not get it right. And at the time, there was a lot of shows on HGTV uh, about the field of redesign, which was where people came in and they used what you already had in your house. And they were somehow to like able to like spin their magic wands. And in a couple of hours, they made your room look amazing. And it was just using like what you already had in the house that you could never seem to pull together. Which is like, like which, wait, which is like where for my mother, like my mom's a chef and you go in the refrigerator, like there's nothing to eat. She's like, wait. And she's like, da, 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 da. and she comes up yeah. with an entire epic meal. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right, I'm how like, did you do that? I won't watch HGTV because I'm like, I can't do that. So I'm not watching it. And this is overwhelming. <laughs> so I mean, how is it that you're like, I, and also by the way, when you were saying like, I can't get my dining room right. What does that even mean? What does that I mean? Couldn't. It means I like it's, I it's would a table and chairs and like what do you I know, mean? but it, it it wasn't and it never it, I mean it was yes it was a table and chairs but I never loved it I wanted to love that room and I just couldn't get the right feel and vibe and color and it just was it was wasn't working for me and I would like go in there and I would like move the stuff around and I would. I was just trying to accomplish something that I couldn't accomplish. So I was like, I just, I need somebody to come in and do this for me. I need one of those magician redesign people to come into my house and just do this for me because I can't do it. So I started Googling, researching online mm-hmm. to find somebody around us that, that did this. So I start Googling, you know, redesign, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, all this stuff come popping up for like training, redesign training, be a mm-hmm. redesigner, learn how to blah, blah, blah. And I was like, the light bulb went off in my head. I was like, wait, maybe that's the thing. Wait. So I start like really starting to do some research, like, like what's involved in getting training. And then the universe was like, okay, dummy, clearly you're not getting the message. We have to punch you in the face, I guess, for you to get the message. They're like, okay, boom. Okay, here's somebody that you know from your childhood who is now running a successful redesign training company in California, dummy. Read this and learn. So I was like, oh my God, somebody from my past does this training. That's weird. It's just weird. So, and what was weirder is that it wasn't a woman, it was a guy. I mean, it's not weird that it was a guy. It was weird that because it was my first boyfriend's father who, Whoa! Believe me, was an insurance guy and was the least creative person you ever would have. Whoa! What? So I was like, how can this person's name pop up and be associated with redesign training? So I decided to, but it had an email address. So I decided to email him and I said, I don't know if this is even really you, and I don't know if it is if you even remember me from mm-hmm. you know, but you know, I was your 
your son's girlfriend in high school, blah, blah, blah. If this is you and you're really doing this, can you let me know? Because I might be interested. And he like wrote back right away. He's like, how could I not remember you? You were... (laughs) You were at my house every single day for like five years. You had dinner with us every night. Of course, and, I remember and, and, you. And by the way, you're Paula and you have a very large personality. <laughs> and you're right. And, you know, and you're from Marblehead and I'm from Marblehead. And yeah, I live in California now. And by the way, this is my new wife's company. I just help her out. I have no idea why my name even popped up there. So, but yes, we do this. And come on out to Napa, California, by the way, and do training with us. So I was on a plane three weeks later. And I went and did like their intensive like boot camp training. At the time, I was still working at Microsoft, but I was like, I'll just see if I even like it. And if I like it, maybe I'll like do it on weekends, do it part time. And so Mm -hmm. I went out there and it was amazing. And they were like, no, you have to do this. You're like a superstar. You have to like you have to quit your job and do this. I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah, you like we train a lot of people and you have to do this. So I did. I came back. I quit my job. And I just like, just, and I was never anybody who ever wanted to work for myself ever. Like that, I was so mm-hmm. happy being like, oh, a second person working, for, the man. Person, working, for, working the man. for someone else. I just, I wanted, I never had that entrepreneurial spirit. I didn't have that pull. I'm not a type A person. I just, I didn't want any of it. And I was like kicking and screaming, like, oh, really? And they're like, yes, you have to do this. I was like, okay. And then, like everything just fell into place, which is like what the universe does, right? When it's right, mm-hmm. it gets very easy. Like the, the, the universe goes, here's your path. Just follow it. Just don't yeah. be dumb. Just follow it and everything will work out. Um, so I do, that's I what do I love did. how you slipped in there. Like I'm not a type A person. Really? Uh, I I'm, not. I'm not. I'm really not. Um, yeah. Anyone that owns a business, you can't be anything but a type A person. Are you kidding me? Um, I'm you, like go into maybe a, you go into people's houses and you sit there like I go just take over. What what are you talking about? <laughs> well, you're in not some a type ways, e type D or type E person. <laughs> There's no way you're associated with those letters. Well, I I maybe type A in some ways, like how I approach design. Like when I get an idea in my head, like I have to see it through. Like there's that part of me that's like I will I can't stop obsessing about it until it looks a certain way or there's a chair that's like six inches out of place and I'm like okay now it's right like like that was bothering me like that part I'll give you that I'm type a but what I'm not type a about is I'm not like one of these like I have a business plan and I follow it to the letter and I I do forecasting and, and I have to achieve these certain goals and I have to make a certain amount of money like that's never been me well, right, those type A people, like literally, I, I feel like because, because I work with entrepreneurs every day, all day, those people, I feel like they're, they're just TV. I mean, like there's definitely the personas that are out there, but a business plan. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen a business plan in decades, like decades. Really? If you don't have a 10, we'll call it a slide, a slide deck, 10 slides. If you can't tell me in 10 slides, don't talk to me. You're wasting my time. <laughs> well, Make- I, I could tell you, I just, I, and I, and so now I've been doing this. 16 years, right? That was 16 years ago that that all happened. So I've been doing this a long time. And I still, I still, to this day, I am driven not by how much money I make. I'm driven by whether or not people are happy with what I do for them. They're happy with the result. Do they want to tell people that they had a great experience with me? Uh, Do they tell their friends? And all of that is yes, because I don't really market. I, I get all my business 
practically all of my business is word of mouth and referrals. And I have never, I've always just so, sort of trusted that like the business is just going to come because it does. Like what, as soon as things get a little bit like uh, they slow down a little bit, I'm like, ah, oh, do I have to start worrying? It's like, nope. Then I get like slammed with like five phone calls of. And I can, and I can attest like, to this because I literally have asked you like go ridiculous at times to be on this podcast. I know, I mean, ridi- I'm sorry. Ridiculous. I mean, no, it's, it, it, it's not a bad thing where when I approach you, I mean, I repro- approach you because I'm like, I go, I know you, you're a friend, but you're a small business owner and this is the world that I take care of. And so I literally like, well, like I go, Paula, you know, I have a podcast. Like I would love to have you on. <laughs> and it's not like there's a lack of small businesses. I have guests all the time. So it's not like this, like, oh my God, I'm dying for another guest. I have no guests. I have guests with no worries, but I, I do love the fact that word of mouth still wins over anything that anyone percent. It were, I mean, 100%. it is what it is. So like, this is one of the things where I always tell people like, oh, do not discount the word of mouth versus like, I'm going to pay for SEO. I'm going to pay for this. I'm going to pay for that. Right. I'm like, Don't worry about it. Cause if you do your job, people know, just do your right. job, get out there and right. do your job, which will come, which, which comes to the most important part is what is the job? So what do you do? Who's your target audience? What do you do? What's that experience that people have? Because people always think about like, I go where I just like started, like I picked up the phone, I Googled someone, I got word of mouth and I'm working with someone. Like, what is it that you do? Because I have so many thoughts about it and giggle, I giggle all the time thinking about it because like you're so depicted in movies, but tell people what is it exactly you do and why do you do it? Okay. So I would say that what I do has three components. I one of the things I do is just design, straight interior design, decorating. Um, and I kind of do um, a little bit more affordable, a little bit smaller projects. I'm very like unintimidating. I, I help people get unstuck a lot. Like I try to help people like that have been thinking about doing things for a while. They maybe kind of like that, what I was saying about my dining room, right? You walk in, the room just is not working for you. It's just like, it's your living room and you like you hate it but you don't know why you hate it you just you don't it's not working you like it doesn't look like a magazine doesn't look like anything on pinterest it doesn't look any way that you want it to but you don't know how to get it to look better so i can be that person that will then pull together a cohesive design for you i can look at your stuff and tell you what's not working what is working i can talk to you and find out about how you want to use the space and why this setup maybe isn't working for that. Um, and then I can just very easily and in a friendly way, like help you figure that out in a very non-threatening way. You know, I can do as much or as little as you want. You know, I can do these design boards and hand them off to you and you can go shopping for all this stuff. And at least, you know, when you buy all the stuff, it will all look good together. Um, well, the, or I can well, do big stuff. But what, the thing with, the, with that is when I walk into someone's home, so I've been, I've walked into people's houses and I've walked into people's homes. When someone brings in a designer, and this is something that, I mean, I have so many friends that are designers, and I always see like, how do you find, how do you make it theirs? I mean, like where, when I go into your house, I, like, I'm that person where I see, I'm like, I see things. I mean, you're posting photos. I, I mean, everyone knows, I will look at all your photos. If you posted it, I'm looking at all your photos. I'm not just like a, glancing at the beginning and then just like liking it. So when I walk into your house, I wanna see you in this house. How do you actually do that? Because you're being hired by an individual. Like, I don't know how much do they tell you or how much you ask, but then do they want it to look like William Sonoma or do they want to have it where it's like, I can take off my shoes and feel like I'm home here versus like, 
oh my God, I can't touch anything. Cause I've been in houses where what Billy, when Billy Costa back in the day, we'd go in the house and I'm like, dude, this is like a museum. It's so yeah. uncomfortable. But we'd go to Matt Siegel's house. These are the people I used to work for and Matt in the morning show. Maddie's house was a home. It was like everything yeah. about it was a home where I could, like I literally am going to leave my house and hang out here. It's so homey. So how do you create that feeling for, I just hired you, but I want it to feel like the Caribbean. I want it to feel like the UK. I want it to feel like where I come home every single day and I feel like I'm home, not just this home, but the way that I grew up. That's mm-hmm. a very so, large I mean, question. Sorry, but. but. Yeah, but see, if you were, if you were, if I was working with you, that whole description that you just gave me would be a ton of information for me to work off of. You know, I would, that tells me a lot about how you want to feel in the space. And if not everybody is as articulate as you, so I have to ask a lot of questions a lot of times about how, you know, what isn't working in this space and what, how do you want to feel and how do you want it to look in? Do you, you know, do you want to relax here? Do you want to feel energized? Do you, how do you want to use this space? Are you going to, is it just for your family or you're going to entertain people? Are you, going to have cocktails here you're going to watch tv here like what are you going to do in the space and so there's a a lot of um discovery that has to happen um and i think that i have a pretty good knack for um zeroing in on that pretty quickly with people Uh, i just get a really good sense of i don't know who they are or what would work for them a lot of it's just just listening to them, but also just looking around and seeing, you know, what you get clues everywhere. You know, you see a lot of stuff around the house mm-hmm. that gives you clues. Um, and they also usually I ask them to bring together inspiration pictures. And that mm-hmm. tells me a lot. You know, a lot of times they will pull together inspiration pictures and they won't even realize that there's a pattern like every single picture has blue in it as the predominant color. They're like, mm-hmm. I'll be like, look at all the blue in there. And they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't even notice that. So. Mm-hmm you know, just having another eye come in. Uh, but there are also people that want to follow a formula. And there's a lot of people out there now that that there are these kind of like celebrity designers who have like their own look and brand that, especially like a lot of the younger people out there, a lot of them follow a lot of these celebrity designers and they want their house to look just like their house or their projects. And it's very formulaic. And so if, if that's what they want, I know how to get that because yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's a formula in my mm-hmm. mind, it's a formula. Um, and I feel, it's not like I feel bad, but I kind of do because some of these guys, I think rely on that formula a little bit too much. And there's yeah. very little of themselves, like you're saying in the room. It's very much a copy of somebody else's ideal room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really try and impress upon people, you know, at the end of the day, like, this is your room. It's not my room. So mm-hmm. it needs to be about you. And, but, and if that's what they want, if they want that very sterile, formulaic mm-hmm. kind of look, then I can give them that. You know, I, it doesn't matter to me. I, I, that, I mean, I think that's one of the things about working with me is I can give people a great result and I don't have a giant ego. I'm not one of these designers that it's like, it's my way or I, I walk away from this project. I <laughs> can't work like that. Like that's not me. I don't. Care. I love that you just did that because I feel like every seventies, eighties show had a person like that. where like, go, yeah, right. Oh my God. This, 
go, sir, blah, blah, blah. It's coming to the house and sir, blah, blah. Like I go, oh, this tastes like peasant's food. <laughs> right. Like, like the sugar bakers, you know, like designing women, like, you know, like that. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. This show. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> but I like, I don't care. Like I really, at the end of the day, it doesn't have to be my room. It's not my room. So if you want things that I don't really, I would not necessarily put in my house or mm. if you're happy with it, I don't care because you're still going to tell people this was a great experience. You know, I love my house. I love how it looks. I love how it feels. And that's usually what I get from people is people will be like, oh my God, I struggled with this for like two years. And then you came in and like, depending on what we're doing, sometimes if it's paint colors and stuff, they're like, yeah. you figured this out in like, a few hours and I, well, the, I can't believe outside, I struggled with outside it. Outside perspective is always needed. And I think that's like, people are so stuck. One, people are so stuck in like, I go, I have to figure it out myself. I, I feel like I'm less than if I don't in, or they didn't realize, wait, this is going to cost too much. And who do I think I am getting a designer? Right. Right. And I think that that's why a lot of people that work with me work with me because I'm not that kind of designer. I, mm-hmm. I will shop retail. I'll go to home goods. I don't care. You know, I'll find stuff at Wayfair for them. I, mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me to do that. Um, as long as a, it looks well, good. I feel like a smart designer does that. A smart yeah, one. Well, well, I mean, and different designers have different business models. There's lots of designers that only work on luxury products and only yeah. do to, you know, to the trade kind of things and go to the design center. And that's great. That's just mm-hmm. not who I am and who my customer is. Yeah. You know, my customer is somebody who is comfortable shopping retail and and actually my best projects are very collaborative i work best with people that really want to be involved in the process and we're working together i'm finding stuff they're doing some of the research and saying Mm -hmm. oh yeah this thing that you sent me i like that but what about this instead and i go oh yeah that's that could work too you know it doesn't have to be my thing Mm -hmm. you know if i gave you the inspiration to find something else that works that's doing my job too um you know a lot of it for people, what they don't, what they struggle with the most is getting the scale of things right and the furniture arrangement right. And so that's something that's a real skill that I'll bring in that, you know, I can do a floor plan. I can tell you what's out of scale in your room because that's one of these things where you can walk into a room and go, oh, I, this doesn't look right, but I don't know what's wrong. And I'll say, well, because your sofa is way too big because yeah. you bought a giant sectional at Jordan's Furniture where they have 30 foot ceilings and you tried to cram it into your room and it, it it's way too big for this room. That is the story of every Haitian's life where literally, <laughs> I look, there's not one of the, where, why is the bed taking over the entire room? The bed and the, bed and the armoire are like the prized yes. possessions. Yes, of the Andy giant home. heavy, 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 heavy. And you're like, I go, this room could be amazing if it was more like just space, just more space. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of space less is more yeah. because i grew up in a yeah. house where big big heavy beautiful but big heavy furniture and i'm like for the love of god no one can no one can move this no one can move this. <laughs> um, i know that i know that feeling okay. how did all right so now you look this is one stem of your company what's the other yeah. stem so the other stem is staging houses for sale mm-hmm. and that keeps me very very busy i will go in and um whether it's a vacant house where I'll bring in all the furniture and make it look beautiful and lived in and highlight the space and give it some real, a real designer kind of feel. Um, Or I will go into houses, which is a lot of what I do, where people are living there and tell them how to get the house ready uh, so that 
their pictures will look great. Their showings will go great. Um, you know, it's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of tough love right there. That's a lot of delicate conversations. That's a lot of tears. That's a lot of, you know, that's a skill. <laughs> this is the one that I am fascinated by so much. So, um, the whole entire person that comes in stages, throws in a roll of cookies. So that way that's, the house smells like cookies, a real estate yeah. person. Like, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, one, where and why did this start? Because I felt like people would just come into someone's house, see my stuff. And then they kind of like imagine it. Like when did staging even become a thing? And so, when you say tough yeah. love, how tough love is tough love? Oh, okay. So staging actually started out in California. Like... I would say in the 90s, mid 90s, I would say this woman, uh, sort of the, the godmother of staging is this woman named Barb Schwartz, who claims that she created the term staging. And I think she even trademarked it um, and has her own staging program and, um, you know, training and all this stuff. But staging started in California. And that's like when HGTV kind of started picking up on it and there were shows and then it slowly moved East. And so when I started doing it 16 years ago, I was, you know, I was sort of one of the earlier people that was even doing it over here. And you're right up until that time, nobody like people barely cleaned their houses for, you know, but it was a different time, right? Back then the way it worked is, the realtor came in. The only way you could get in to see a house was through a realtor. You saw a, a couple of pictures. Maybe you saw one exterior picture in the ad in the newspaper. And then you had to make an appointment to go see it if you wanted to see the inside of the house. But once the internet came along and people could start looking online and start seeing pictures of what the house looked like inside, everything started having to look picture perfect because it was too easy to click to another listing if those pictures looked crappy. So that was kind of part of the whole, you know, the HGTV phenomenon, plus the internet and online um, browsing for houses kind of came together and made how your home is presented became such an important part of the whole package and how it looks in photos became really important. Um, because if it doesn't look good in photos, you're not even going to get people to come through it. There's too many other houses out there that do look good in photos, and those are the ones that are going to get the customers. And of course, you know, it shifts depending on the market conditions, right? If it's a buyer's market or a seller's market, you know, when it's a, um, a buyer's market, sellers have to work that much harder, right? They have to, they really have to work hard to compete and, and be the one that, that, you know, that the offers are made on when it when it flips the other way then you know it it just it changes so but either way there's there's a reason to to stage your house um and it used to be a lot harder to sell people on the idea luckily now it's become sort of more standard and luckily for me the brokers that i work with um i just have like a small group of brokers who use me for everything and so I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to consider myself part of their team and they know they can count on me no matter how hard the situation is, no matter what kind of situation I'm walking into. I mean, there's some real situations out there in an occupied situation where, um, you know, it's tough. Like, and, and, you know, you have to keep in mind a, a lot of times when people are selling, it's a really emotional 
time for them, right? Because it's not always a happy occasion. It could be because of death. It could be because of divorce. It could be because they're going into assisted living. It could be because, you know, any number of things that, that aren't necessarily happy. So I have to always be mindful of what their situation is, but I want to give them the best advice so that they will make the most money off their house. Right. So that's where the tough love comes in. You have to really be sensitive to how much you can push them and where you can push them and what things are important to push on and what things you can kind of let go. Um, and it's, you know, I actually, I taught a course on, um, on staging last year for the, um, North Shore community college. And it, it kind of forced me to really look at the whole staging process and what I do for people and how it works. You're a therapist. (laughs) I am. I am a therapist. I've had people cry. I've had people throw me out. I've had people, um, people, wait, 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 wait. You've had people throw you out. Oh yeah. Well, you're like walking through the house. but, But didn't you bring, didn't they bring you in? Yeah. Well, usually it's the broker that recommends me. Yep. And so a lot of times I'm just meeting people for the first time. I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting process when you're the stager and you, the way it works is, you know, I don't even know what I'm walking into half the time on the other side of that door. Okay. So I have to walk in, meet the people, create rapport with the people, look at what I'm looking at, assess the situation see what needs to be done. And at the same time, I kind of have to have the end game in, in mind. I have to have a vision of what the house should look like at the, when they go to take pictures. And sometimes that's really easy because the place looks great and there's not that much to do. Sometimes it's unbelievably hard because it could be somebody lived there for 50 years and it's an 80 year old guy and his wife has died. And he does another first thing about how to make a house look good. And I, he's accumulated rooms and rooms and rooms of stuff that need to go. Yeah. And I have to be able to picture how this house has to look at the end of the day. And all of that has to happen in that first one hour appointment as I'm walking around and kind of getting flooded with so much visual information yeah. and sensory information. And then I have to turn it into a report and a process for them that they can understand mm-hmm. It's a lot. <laughs> it's it's so much more than just throwing pillows on a on a well, sofa. Well, you know? and, and and that's the thing. Like uh, like again, TV depicts it in a certain way, and like the movies depict it in a certain way. And I didn't really fully understand what you did. I mean, I, again, I've heard the term until I saw a before and after picture um, of a house that you did. Uh, the one that there was like a big screen, like it was like outdoor kind of. They had like an outdoor patio where I'm like, I go, oh my god, I want to live in this little patio place. But I mean, it was this like shocking moment of like holy crap, you did this? I mean, it was like, so like, I can't believe you go in there. Sometimes you have to paint. Um, yeah. So you're painting, you're changing. Okay. And, and then of course I go and I, um, I I get an ottoman from you and I go to your storage. I'm like, you have a storage? I'm like, where am I going? <laughs> and then you see all this stuff, like trees and pillows <laughs> and like all this stuff that you have to create this feeling. It yeah. was insane to me. And, and again, yeah. you see it on TV, but then the person that you know, that you don't know, like this, yeah, it's like fun land. So this yeah. is the little girl that used to play around, sing, dance is now yeah. doing, you're playing house all yeah. the time. Which is I'm so playing exciting. designer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's so exciting. It's so fun. It's, it's overwhelming for most. Most people just don't know about it and they don't acquire these skills until later on in their years. And all of a sudden they find their, 
feel. But when you're younger, you're like, I go, yes, you're cutting copy. You go into stores. I'm like, you take a picture. You're like, I'm going to create just this. So I do love all of that, what, that, what you're doing. And it is really, it's, it's a very emotional thing for a lot of people. And so of course, then I have to bring up the pandemic during the pandemic. You had a lot of individuals that had situations where there was death. There were individuals that had to go homes. There are a lot of people that are like, I can't afford to be here anymore. So March, 2020 to present day where we're, I mean, like we're pretty much in the United States, we're out of the pandemic. Um, yeah. What was it like for you when you started hearing the buzz of the pandemic and how was the process of, how did you keep your business going? Because your job is to go inside someone's house and yeah, now we're so not, I, I had not, we're shift, not like, yeah. able to. Yeah. So that was, you know, it became obvious pretty quickly that um, I was going to have to shift something. And luckily I'm, I belong to a lot of um, like um, trade groups and stuff where people share ideas and stuff. And so you know, early on, stagers started talking about, oh, my God, how are we going to do this? We can't go into people's houses. Um, and so we started pretty early on doing the shift to, you know, what can we do virtually? How can we do virtual visits with people? And and are people even going to be putting their houses on the market at all? I mean, at first, everything just kind of ground to a halt. But there was a lot of stuff already in the works, you know, like because it happened so suddenly that there were people that had offers in on houses but they had to sell their house. So like they, they wanted to keep the process going. So it's not like houses just completely dried up. There were still houses on the market. We had to figure out how to get them staged and get them marketed um, without going in there. And, and for us, a lot of that was, I just started doing Zoom consultations where they, or FaceTime, where they would walk around the place with me and I would look and see what I see and just kind of like, yep, okay, I get it. Like, and sometimes there was a couple of times right at the beginning where I was not comfortable going into a house and they, and the broker really, really, really wanted some stuff done there. And I did a, you know, I would do a virtual walkthrough with the broker. I would assess, see what I thought I needed. And then I would leave bins of stuff outside the place and the broker would place it into a house and send me pictures, you know, after, is this right? Is this where you want it? And I would say hire, like, I mean, that was the kind of stuff like we had to do. I literally like put you on speaker because I, I, I put you on I mute lost. only because, no, oh, you got oh, me? Got you back. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I put you on mute only because I have a fan going on. And oh. so look, I, I never want the fan to like, usually for the mics, when you put the fan on, I'm like, I go, then it takes away from you talking to me to oh, sit oh, in oh. your staring. So I'm like, this is why yeah. I'm like, I go, I put you on mute. Um, where is the industry going now? Because I, again, we are back being open. Um, people are, like, it, it's, I mean, I swear to God, it's like, who shot JR? Like, and then JR sitting in the shower, like, like it never happened. So we're right, back there. Housing, the housing crunch was insane, insane during the pandemic. Um, I feel like it's te- like it's leveling out now, or is it? You tell me because it's, it's this is your industry. Um, yeah, it's, it's teetering. Where is the industry going now in regards of our people? We spent so much time at home. People started being really creative in what they were doing. Are you needed as much? Do people or or flip side? Do people realize? Oh my God, where has Paula been all my life? Like what happens now? <laughs> no, ser- no, seriously. Like what happens now in regards of? How does your industry transform after the pandemic or whatever else comes well, up? Well, 
because of course it's word of recession and people are starting to panic about that. Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, you think that with the crazy real estate market that we have now, where things are just flying, flying off the shelves, let's say, um, that people wouldn't be staging as much, but they are. And what happens is, you know, I always feel like as much money as people make on their houses now, they will make more if they stage it. So I feel like you're, you know, you're leaving money on the table if you don't stage. The -hmm. houses that are getting, you know, bidding wars and hundreds of thousands of dollars over asking, which happens here in this town all the time. I mean, it happens to listings that I have, you know, there are houses that that I've seen that are like, literally, I don't even know how the hell they got that kind of money. And the house is like literally pretty much like it's crumbling apart and someone still pays an insane amount of money for. So I'm always shocked. They're like, what are you paying for? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's market driven, you know, it's, um, but so I really haven't seen, except for the initial like stoppage when the pandemic first hit and everybody was just sort of trying to figure it out and, you know, kind of get their wits about them. Mm -hmm. I've been busy. I I mean, I had my biggest year ever last year. So Mm -hmm. I, and, and this year it's just, it's like insanely busy. Um, so I don't see it slowing down, even though I think that the market is cooling a bit mm-hmm. um, because of the interest rates and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I don't see, you know, I don't see staging going away or slowing down. And the flip side is, you know, what a lot of people realized during the pandemic when they were spending so much more time at home, yeah. they were like, oh, I hate this about my house or I, my house isn't working for me in this way or so my design stuff like went through the roof because people are like, I need to do something like I if I'm going to be in the house all the time or if I'm going to be working from home or mm-hmm. I'm going to be whatever, like I want to love my house and I'm not going to move because it's it's too expensive to move. Yeah. So I want to figure out how to either renovate what I already have or mm-hmm. at least redecorate what I already have. And so, you know, I kind of have a nice little stream, whether I'm staging or whether I'm designing for people you know, the business is, I'm gonna, you know, knock wood, like the business well, is there. And well, but, and I do love that you have a, a, a two verticals because some people have just one vertical for their business. And then they just like, they're like, oh my God, that it's dried up. I have nothing. And then yeah. to have two that you bounce back from is like, it's, it's really, really smart. It's, it's so smart. Um, as a business owner, again, you said it earlier, I would have never, ever, ever owned my own business. I mean, I'm of the same school. I left my business in 13 years. I would have never, ever, ever, ever owned. Like I loved knowing where I worked, my checks, yep. my insurance, yep. my like, every. I loved it. It was yeah. like, it made me happy. Great job. I leave yeah. work and I don't have to think about you until I come back. Um, there are so many people that are listening to you thinking, I want to do what I, like that passionate thing that I do on the side, my little side hustle. I want to do it, but I'm chicken shit. Um, I, I have no idea where to start. What, what, I mean, look, you quit your job and you started, yeah, but it's not I, as I, easy as that. No, it's not. I, and I recognize that it's not as easy for everybody to do that. Um, so, you know, everybody has their own financial situation and can assess for themselves what they're willing to do. But I know for me, and this has been true with like every big decision, life decision that I've ever made. For me, the litmus test is always when the thought of not doing it is worse than the thought of doing it. That's when it's the time to do it. Do you know what I mean? 
I love that. <laughs> Can you repeat that one more time? Cause I love that. <laughs> when the thought of not doing it is worse than the thought of doing it, that's when it's time to do it. Yeah. And that I, really has never failed me, honestly. And they're leading up that whole time. I was like, oh, am I ready? Am I ready? I don't know. I don't know. And then suddenly it was like something flipped. And I was like, I have to do this. If I don't do this, it's going to be awful. Like once you get to that point, that's when you just have to like make it work. And I can tell you from, you know, from my own experience and also from my friends who have also made major shifts in their careers, mm -hmm. the thought of making that shift is much scarier than the actual doing of it. There's always, it just mm -hmm. always seems to work out. It just does. Like you can live with less than you think you can. Yep. But a lot of times that's not even a factor. But once you know that, it kind of takes a lot of the fear away because it's like, okay, yeah, I don't have to like, guess I don't have to eat out like five times a week. I guess I could eat out like one time a week if I had to. <laughs> but then you know what? You're still eating out five times a week. Like you, yeah, you just, you'd be surprised it, at how it works out sometimes. Well, I always say to people where when everyone's like, I go, when do you have time to do this? I go, there's a plenty, there's plenty of time. It's just like how you re or re reorganize that time. Plenty of yeah. time. Yeah, um, you just gotta just gotta think about it different. Hi, hi, hi! Of opening your uh, owning and opening up your company in the low, low, low. Um, the high. I think. I mean, the freedom is really for me is is great. The this, I, I think this is going to sound a little lame. And I think hopefully the people that this resonates with, it will resonate with and other people, I'm sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> it's the, like the recognition, like when people just tell me I do a good job, which I know sounds lame, but not, that is to not me, lame. Is, that is not that's lame. the high. That's the high. Like I like walking away from something. And even today, like I will stage a house, like the house that you're talking about, like, I'll get amazed at like how good it looks. I'm like, I can't believe I did that. Like, <laughs> that looks awesome. Like even I can't believe it. And it's that's just always so great is when you feel like you walk into a house and you're like, no way. There's no way I can pull this off. No way. And then you pull it off and he's like, yes, I crushed it. It's like, <laughs> that count? Is that how? <laughs> um i think that that is something that most people just like kind of hide it inside and they're like yeah so <laughs> yeah. Pat on the back I, mean, there. Pat on the back. I have a hard time i have a really hard time uh patting myself on the back i have a great assistant who is really awesome at that and who helps me do that because i have i'm very critical self-critical i really have a hard time like feeling like yeah i did like that so she's really good at being like, come on now, look at what we did here. Like she will pull me out of that, that feeling. My mother is, um, the, we call her the princess. And um, she literally taught us, cause people ask her like, how are you confident in what you are? I'm like, I'm not confident all the time. I go, like, like you know, 80% of the time, yeah, I'm, I'm confident. And they're like, how do you do you? I'm like, my mother taught me to be conceited and people laugh. I'm like, no, seriously, every parent or every, the coaches do it. They teach you. They, they, they blow you up with so much air that you're like, you're fearless. 
you become fearless. And so when you get popped, you're like, oh, that sucks. But it's, it is that one of those things that propel you to do these most outlandish things. And so I'm happy that your assistant is there for you because you've been sharing stories and you've been that person your entire life, your entire life. And this is why I ask about, tell me who you are as a person. You are here and I get why you're here. I get what you do because you were the kid that did plays. You were the kid that kid that did shows. You were the kid that literally was like already out there, even as a cheerleader. Holy crap. I mean, I went to University of Houston for a bit and those cheerleaders like being blown up in the air and doing all these crazy things. And people are like, oh my God, we're afraid of football. I'm like, don't be afraid of football. Be afraid of cheerleaders. <laughs> they get concussions all the time. Just being dropped yeah. on the floor from 60 yeah. feet. You've yeah. been in all of these. I mean, you, hi, you, I don't sing, but I'm going to join a band. I'm like, your entire life has been like, oh, I got this. I got, I got. <laughs> yeah, I, I think got- I do. It's like, <laughs> I, I'll do it. I'm like, you know, when I, when I did that training out in California to do redesign and staging, one of the books that they recommended was a book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Do you know that mm-hmm. book? And that to me was like a game changer. And that has guided a lot of what I do. You know, taking it down to that path of, you know what? What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. What is the worst that could happen? But I don't even think and- that you needed that book though, because you've been, I, like, again, you've been, I, maybe you haven't heard these stories that just came out of your mouth for a while. You literally have been saying it the entire time. I'm like, uh, I don't think you needed the book. I think you could have written the book. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. You know, I have, I mean, you know, we're not going to dive into all my deep, dark, uh, <laughs> lack of confidence side. I'm not sure that would make a really good podcast. Let's talk about everything you think you suck at. Okay. How much more time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll be the next conversation for sure. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Um, I love that. I said this earlier before we started recording. Um, again, I know you, but I don't, you know, you, you don't look like a cat person at all. Uh- and you have a ginormous cat, not just a cat, but you have yeah. a ginormous size. Uh, what does yes. that cat weigh? Or is it pounds. just hair? No, that's all cat. She's a, she's a Maine Coon and Maine Coons are known to be gentle giants. They're awesome cats. They're amazing cats. I'm a yeah, dog so person. I'm not a cat person at all, but that's a stellar she might of a convert cat. You. Yeah, she might, she might convert you. She, um, she acts like a dog, you know, she, she runs, you know, we come home, she comes running down the stairs, squawking, squawking at us, where have you been, blah, 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 you know, she's very, she's very sociable, she's very personable, she's, I've had cats my whole life, we don't have kids, so I'm a, I'm a cats, not kids person, um, I was telling somebody, I was telling somebody this last night that I have a, so probably alienate people, but I don't even care, um, I have a, I have a magnet, I have a magnet on my fridge here that says, if I wanted to hear the pitter patter of little feet, I'd put tap shoes on my cat. <laughs> so well, that tells you a lot about who I am. <laughs> you have friends with kids. I mean, you're good. You have plenty of kids in your life. You're good. You're totally, totally, totally good. Um, yeah. What my last question before the last question, what does your family think of where you are now? Because You've had such a trajectory of jobs in different locations. I mean, the psycho, again, born in, born-ish, raised in Marblehead, <laughs> born-ish, <laughs> raised. And, 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 but, but you've done so much and you've dabbled in a lot of different things and you've, you've had successes, but now you're in this, your sweet spot. Like, what do you think, what do they think of like just seeing what 
what you do or, or do they even understand what you do? My mother completely does not understand what I do. <laughs> That's no, every mother. Not, I yeah, she does not, she does not uh, <laughs> unless it directly affects her and I'm doing something at her house, she does not, nor does she want to know. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, look, I had this, uh, Benjamin Moore did a video and featured me and it's been all over the internet. And she's like, okay, good. But so anyways, about <laughs> the thing that I found at, at TJ Maxx, I'm like, okay. She's, she's not going to see this right now. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I, your mom and my mom can hang out. Just, yeah. just say, yeah. I think okay, like, mom. She looks happy. She looks happy and she looks healthy. I think she's okay. I'm like, and I'm working 10 billion hours. Okay. Good job. Yeah, right. All right. Yeah. I mean, there are other people in my family that, that pay attention. Jamie obviously is like my biggest cheerleader. I never could have, I ne- honestly could never have dared to do it any of this without him being so like encouraging and so you know and now he's like well I've been watching his head in the mirror (laughs) (laughs) yeah he popped he popped in he's dying to be on camera he's gone now but um (laughs) but he actually works with me a lot now because he's he's kind of doing his you know his own stuff so he's not going to a uh, an office anymore so Mm. I've recruited him to like he's, he's working with me. I mean, he's doing a lot with me and he's such a, just a great supporter and has never mm. doubted me and has always propped me up. I mean, I've always been my own worst critic, my own mm. person that, you know, worries about everything. I'm up at four in the morning. You know, when you asked me before, what's your high, what's your low, the low is like the up at four in the morning, worrying about like every last little thing. And did I this and did I that? And what I, and can I do this? And can I really make this deadline? And can I really, oh, you know, I get a lot in my head and kind of, so he thinks, you know, the people that have supported me and my family have always supported me and think they kind of like, yeah, we knew you could do this. We knew, we, you know, we thought you had a gift or whatever. Like we, they're not surprised and they're very sweet and supportive and, you know. It's a good thing. It's a very, very good yeah. thing. Yeah, that's good. Um, Where do you want the company to go from here? To Key West. (laughs) Tell me more. I, you know, I, again, going back to like, I never plan anything. I never really, I've always kind of flown by the seat of my pants and been Mm -hmm. like, we'll just see where this takes us. And, but I think I'm at a point where I want to work less I want to be able to, I love to travel. I do love Mm -hmm. Key West. I do want to be able to spend more time in the winter down there. So I want to do more virtual stuff. I'll tell you where I really, where, where I'm headed now. And uh, we're doing it for ourselves, but I also, if anyone's listening out there, um, I want to really do like Airbnb design. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So we have some uh, rental apartments and we're converting some of them now to short-term rental Airbnb units. So I'm taking some of those and, you know, kind of just throwing a big design brush on them and making them look awesome and swanky and having fun doing it. And um, I would love to do that for more clients because then I could go places like Key West and St. John and all these places that I like to travel to, Uh, but I can also do it virtually. Um, and I'm happy to do that. And I think it's, it makes such a difference. You know, when you go and you, if you go to book a Airbnb or VRBO or something, and you look at some of the pictures out there, you're like, 
how can these people even expect to get anybody to book their place? Yeah. Something like this? It's disgusting. I would never stay there. And then you look at other places and you're like, oh my God, this looks awesome. And you know, if you're running an Airbnb and it's a business and there's a financial reason to make the investment in having a great looking design and great looking photos, you're literally losing money if you don't. Yeah. So there's a good business case to be made, just like for staging. There's a good business case to be made for why you want to spend the money to do it, why you want to make that investment, because it's going to pay off in the end. Um, so that is where but I it's, like it's so smart because like, I mean, I feel like I go people just like go out and they're like, I go, we just bought dishes and we got like brand new sheets and so I'm like I go ah I, you need more than just that and yeah. so and and I it's you're right like a lot of people are now like having their their um their snowbirds and they're not just snowbirds Florida Massachusetts they're snowbirds like I'm going to be in Costa Rica for six months I'm going to come back and they want to use yeah. that space um but where I mean so now see the conversation is getting long because you just asked another you just said <laughs> something else where sorry, sorry. a lot of locations don't allow Airbnbs so how right. does that business model work nowadays? Because there's like condos that are like, look, we're totally against it. There are homes that are like, I go, we don't want this in our neighborhood. Um, there are like homes that they're like, I go, you, we, you don't know what you're going to get, but Airbnb says they're going to cover it. How do you get into this part of the business when there's so much happening more on the outside of like the bad marketing? So we are just really newly dipping our toes into it. And we are uh, actually, we were actually approached by a property manager who manages a lot of this process for clients okay um she saw that we were advertising a place for rent and she said have you ever thought of converting it to a airbnb and we're like hmm, no we don't really know you know obviously we know airbnb but we don't know the ins and outs of so she's like well i would do everything i would manage everything for you i would yeah. manage the pricing i'd manage the communications blah 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 here's how it would work we're like hey that would make it, it that's an easy way to get into it and yeah. so we'll take one of our apartments that is in a great location but doesn't look like much yep. and we'll you know amp it up and make it fun and you know the kind of place I would want to stay in yep. and we'll see how she does with it and I think it'll be good and then we'll kind of see but I think that that's the way to do it is to it would be too daunting for you know for us to try and do it on our own and learn I think and learn all the ins and outs of what you can and you can't it's do a lot how to it's, do it. it really it's is a lot. lot it's a lot so I would say you know if you're thinking about trying it, I think it's a good thing to work with a property manager that understands that world and has that framework already in place. And then work with somebody like me to make the place look beautiful in the pictures, yeah. you know, so you can charge more money. People yeah. will pay more for things that look, you know, people want to feel a certain way when they go on vacation. So if I can make yeah. your place look like that for not a lot of money, by the way, I'm look, I'm buying the stuff I'm buying for our own place. It's Home Goods, it's Target, it's Wayfair, it's Amazon. It's not high end stuff, but you can get an awesome look, you know. Well, it's so funny that you say like it's like the, the Amazons where we went. There's like a tiki bar that is in Salem that's on the water, yeah. and I go yeah. these two these two people. Like, I mean, I was so interested in them. They work at the State House. They went into Florida. They saw the tiki bar. They went on Amazon. They they bought everything for their tiki bar, and it's like sitting on a, a two power boat kind of a things. And you float out there for an hour and a half to two hours. And they charge good money. And I'm like, and they're yeah. like, yeah. We and they have a great business. Great business. It's a, it's a way They are list. busy you know? all the time. So I'm like, I go, bravo, bravo, bravo for like being smart. And yet being smart, working less, making more. I do love yes. that. I love that. I love I that. Love okay. That. So I always, I, I always say this is not the last one because um, there's too many times where being a former media person, 
there's too many times that there's something in the news. And I've interviewed so many different people from different locations. I always want to bring you guys together and talk because why go to a individual that says they're an influencer when I'm surrounded by all the experts? And I would rather be with the experts a lot more than the influencers. So I will always bring you back depending on what's out there. So just keep that in okay. mind. But for, for now, um, we're going to end in, we're going to end in this like recorded world versus our real world. Okay. Um, yep. And I always end the interviews the same exact way where if you had a personal ask and a professional ask, what would it be? We as small business owners ask for our businesses all the time. But we never ask for ourselves. So if you had a personal ask and a professional ask, what would it be for anyone that is listening and watching you? Hmm. So I guess my business ask, having just come off that little talk about doing Airbnb stuff would be to really like kind of get more immersed in that world and get, I'd love to find a stream, make that one of my streams that I, that I really focus on. I would love to travel to places and put, put together beautiful, um, condos and apartments and spaces for people in some really awesome places because I love to travel. And I think my personal thing is actually not so far from that. I want to work less, uh, but still work. And, but I want to travel. I want to, you know, Jamie and I love to travel. I think figuring out how we can get out of Massachusetts winters is a big, is a big part of it. You know, how can we kind of start living the dream in Key West or, someplace else in the winter, but still, you know, have some money coming in. Um, is that the kind of thing? I'm not good at these, like, these big universe requests. I think I'm not good at that. Did, was that right? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think that you're, I think you're very good at it because um, someone, unless you, unless someone asks, you never, I mean, like they're in your head, but unless someone yeah. says, hey, what is your 10 year plan? Which of course I always think that's silly because we live in oh, a world where a recession I, or a pandemic can happen and your one year plan right. goes down the toilet. I don't so, have a next week plan. So that's yeah. hard for me to do like a, a five year plan. I'm all like, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I really I, don't I, know. I have, I, a, I have a September plan. So it's the first day of the month. So I, I have a September plan and that's all I got. Well, you're ahead of me. I mean, I know that we're going on vacation at the end of this month or the middle of this month, we're going down to St. John and like, that's kind of, that's keeping me going. Nice. Do you guys perform when you go on the islands? Mm -mm. Do they, know, do they uh, no. know that you perform? Can you perform? Like, mm, uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, that could be a pretty good ask. It would, you know, okay, let's go for the ask and say, we would like to get a gig in Key West. Let's, let's get that. Let's okay. That. So, cause I, cause I was, I'm like, I go, you sing and it's such a, island thing to do or water and like so I was like I go, I'm like I wonder if they just bring the guitar down there like I've, I've done it you know there's usually cocktails involved <laughs> and then people are shocked yeah. at thinking like I go oh my god she's gonna go up there she's gonna karaoke it and then all of a sudden you're like oh my god she, she really can do it yeah well you know it's still a little whatever it's it's fun and but that would be a dream come true is to you know to have gigs at some of these places that we go to and you know, music has really, um, I know this is like taking us off on a different tangent, but keep going. I love every, it. I love it. We, we love to travel. We've always loved to travel and wherever we go, wherever we have gone, music has always seemed to play a really 
cool role in terms of showing us a part of wherever we are that we wouldn't have otherwise seen. So for example, we were we went to um, <clears throat> Venice years ago and mm. we um, wound up sharing a gondola with a guy who was a singer songwriter from Australia because he, he wanted to split the cost of a gondola. And so he had, he was traveling with two girls that he met in a hostel, in a youth hostel, and he had a guitar with him. So we got on the gondola and this guy, David, I think his name was, and Jamie, they were passing the guitar, you know, back and forth and playing. And the gondolier was like uh, losing his mind. Like, this is unbelievable. Like, cause every other gondolier is going through and like, maybe one of them has a guy on the back going like, oh, solo mio. like, and they're playing like, Beatles and the gondoliers like making requests and saying like, hey, do you know how to play the Beatles? Like, it's like, like it was, so we're like going under these bridges and stuff and they're playing Beatles songs and like, you know, it, it was so cool, right? And so at the end of the, at the end of the cruise, the cruise, the end of the trip, you know, we go to the dock and normally you're supposed to give them a really hefty tip. And so yeah. we go to tip them, tip our guy, Marco, and the other gondola, gondola that was kind of following us, who was also named Marco. So it was Marco yeah. and Marco. And we went to tip and they're like, no, 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 you come with us. And so they wound up taking us to the, like the gondolier bar that they all go to after work. So you walk in and everybody's got on striped shirts, right? Like everybody. And they're like, these are friends. They play Beatles. And like, like get, Jamie's like up on the bar playing guitar. Like it was unbelievable, right? But when you like dare to like interact with people and follow the music, anytime we followed the music, we have incredible experiences like that in so many places around the world that we've traveled. Well, and this is where like I go again, I know you, but I don't know you. I literally had no idea that you love to travel as much as I do. Cause I mean, everyone knows cause I love, I mean, photography is my thing. It's like my, my hidden enjoyment, my passion that people know, but don't know, but I'm all about yeah. telling the story through the photos. And take me on adventure. I mean, I can get adventure literally going two towns over, or I just like living in Guadalupe for a month, like I did in April, May, where everyone's like, you could find a, like I mean, a visual something, something anywhere. I go, the, the world that we live in is beautiful. And there's so much opportunities every single day if you just look for it. Yeah, and I love that you do that. I, I follow your little adventures, even when it's just down to the Cape or whatever. I Because I love that you just like embrace things and you're like, no, I'm doing this and I'm all in and it's cool. <laughs> we should, hey, we should do one of those adventures. We should, we, no, we should, we, oh my God, we should totally do that because I mean, because my, my mother is always like, what's next? And for me, like, because I'm training for two marathons, I'm like, well, that's my next adventures. But I'm always like, where should I run next or run differently? So I'm always planning like, all right, I have to do a long run. What direction will I go in and where, where it's safe? Um, but yeah, I'm always looking for the next thing because for me, marketing and branding, I only focus on that. I focus on making sure that you like find like, we, well, how do we get you to sit there and stand out? How do we get you to tell your story, all of your story? And it makes it a lot more fun for people to engage with you when they get to hear, oh my God, she's had such a cool life and she does this too. What are you <laughs> talking about? What are you? So, so this is one of the things where I'm very, very grateful that the pandemic brought the podcast I mean, because like when I was when I left the media I'm like I'm not doing the media ever again this is like I'm done I've done my time and the pandemic just brought it back and I just I, I'm loving all the stories I mean our mutual friend Noelle I'm like I go Noelle's saying all these different things and I'm like who are you you raised her oh what? I know what? I mean 
don't even get me started on her. Holy she's crap. The most, like honestly, the most fascinating person I know. Well, it's, and it's just like, and she's so quiet. So you're like, oh, you're easier to party. She knows how to cook and things like that. And then yeah. she starts sharing the stories. I'm like, who the hell are you? Like, what? Yeah, I know, right? like, goodness gracious, do you work? I mean, are you like Julia Child and you're a spy too? Like, if you said that, I wouldn't <laughs> be shocked. Goodness gracious. <laughs> like, like, I feel like I'm an open book where like, you see my visuals. I, t- I post pictures and stuff like that. But a whole, you guys are good. You guys have a whole, <laughs> like, there's so much more to you guys, which I, I love. I'm, I'm very, very happy that again, our mutual friend, Kathy Wiley, that we, we, we run marathons together. Kathy brought us, brought me into your worlds. And I love that. I, again, I know you guys, but I don't know you guys. And you guys say yes to me to be on this podcast. And I'm cracking up. I'm like, holy, like a little, I'll probably email like Kathy. Did you know Paula does that? Did you know? <laughs> I love it. I mean, like, no, I'm, and, and again, I'm not gonna lie to you. I love your, I love your spiciness by far is like my favorite thing about you because you're unassuming and just right at the right time. You're like, oh, like, throat punch. <laughs> that's right. You never know what's coming. So oh, you know. I love it. I love it. You don't know what you're getting, but when you get it, you're like, oh, she's that's refreshing. right. Like, like some people like, they're like, they're like, she's so refreshing. I go, no, just honest, not refreshing. Yeah. Just honest. Well, yeah, ask Jamie about the look. You know, he he knows like when he gets the look, like <laughs> you don't want the look. Don't we've been together for such a long time. Why are you still embarrassing me, dude? What are you doing? What are you <laughs> and like like uh, no, I, honestly the line is like, have you learned nothing? Have you learned nothing? In 33 uh, years, have you learned nothing? Oh my god, that is so funny. Paula, thank you, thank you, thank you, my friend. This was like so much fun. It was like, fun. I, I needed this. The, like, some people get nervous. They're like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm like, just, it's, a, it's a conversation. We're just talking. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was awesome. Yay. Yay. All right. Until next time for this, but until next time when I see you, whoever's yeah. doing whatever event. Yeah. I know it'll be soon. It might be even be this weekend. You never know. I know, like, right? It's supposed to be a nice weekend. Yeah. Okay. Rock on. Like <laughs> Thank you, Paula. You. All right. Talk soon. See you later. Bye. Bye.